0: So I am here this morning to read um, an entire book of the Bible to you. (laughs) Don't worry, it's a short one. Um, So I am reading you the scripture which is uh, the book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apathia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, send regards, sends, regard, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.
1: So, if anyone asks you how was church today, you can say, well, We read a whole book and make them feel like they didn't get as much work done at their church, or lack thereof. And Meg didn't know what she was reading today, which is an oversight on my part, and then she read a whole book to you with all those Greek and Jewish names, so well done, Meg. What we're doing is concluding a series um, that we've been poking in and out of, not concluding it this morning, but beginning the conclusion of it over the summer, which is about the start of the early church. Um, And we're calling it Asylum because a couple of years ago, um, I asked one of our artists to paint a picture about the vision of the church, about it being a family on mission. And we talked a little bit, and then she painted the picture that's on the front of your bulletin. It's also in my office, which you're welcome to go in if you know where the keys are, which is probably half of you. Um, And I love the title because uh, it is to be, church is to be a, Place of refuge for us where our souls are reminded of the good news. And it's also a place that, for those that are not followers of Jesus, can look a little odd, like an asylum. Um, and I think that's right because we believe a lot of uh, truths that, if you do not believe them, look interesting about Jesus, about uh, God throughout the Old Testament. I see for Susan's people. And what's happening in the first century is the the asylum, the early church, is being created from, in the midst of an occupied state, you know, uh, Israel was occupied by Rome at that time, in the midst of a very fractured religion, you know, the, the, the religious leaders, as they come after Jesus, we notice they don't even agree with one another about a whole bunch of things, the scribes and the lawyers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and there were even other groups that don't come up in the gospel created another, although they would not have thought of it this way, a new religion, despite infighting, despite uh, being occupied by Rome, they would not have thought of it that way. Almost every uh, Christian in the New Testament would identify as a Jewish follower of Jesus Christ, not all of them, because some were Greek converts, and the infighting is apparent. I mean, I don't know if the religious language gets lost on you, but how not subtle is Paul in this letter? So the the churches were mostly in people's houses. So this is in Philemon's house in Colossae. Can you imagine sitting next to him as this letter is being read? Because it says, read the letter to the house church. In the first couple of verses, you're thinking, oh, this is sweet. I'm really glad I'm sitting by him. And then Paul starts to, well, first of all, Onesimus is there you realize, and I'll tell the longer story of this in a minute, but what I want to point out is it's a house church, so they're sitting together, probably max 30 or 40 people, so Onesimus was Philemon's slave, and we'll talk about slavery in a second, but um, he left, he probably stole something, he traveled a thousand miles, happened to meet Paul, who Philemon uh, had, through Paul's ministry, Philemon had come to faith in Christ, Paul sends Onesimus back, and now they're reading the letter together. And Philemon had legal responsibility for the church. That's part of the interesting thing about a house church. It's not just a sweet idea. At this time, when it's arguably very illegal to say Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, you're sitting by Philemon, you're like, man, thanks so much for covering us with insurance. This Ephesian coffee is fantastic. And what are you going to do about Onesimus? Because Paul's clearly implying that there's something for Philemon to do, but I I want us to imagine sitting by him as Onesimus or perhaps someone else reads this letter where you're the kind of person that would have just been like hmm, would you have asked him what he's going to do or would you have implied what he should do? So the early church, despite leadership issues, if you've read Acts 15, they disagreed. It was not all flowers and light in the early church. They disagreed about stuff. They didn't always know what they should do and when they should do it and how they should do it. A little bit like today. Despite internal strife, despite external persecution, the church grows because the good news of Jesus is true. That God loves us and the proof of that is Jesus. His life and ministry and through faith in him, which is the Holy Spirit's pursuit of us, received by faith, we're restored to the Father. I say that to you because I believe it's true, but also because this document is another piece of extant evidence that we have of the men and women who witnessed these things and professed them. It's, it's evidence of the humans who began following Jesus and is some measure of proof of the early church. So the early church existed in the real world. So Onesimus was a slave of Philemon in Colossae. And the the slavery at the time wasn't as horrific as 17th, 18th, 18th, 19th century slavery in Europe and in America. But it was still bad. He stole something, probably a lot of money from Philemon, and he traveled 1,000 miles to Rome, where Paul was in prison at the time. So it's pretty interesting that after traveling 1,000 miles from one house church to another, and Paul's probably in prison at the, or is almost certainly in prison at this time. If you like to, to look at the history and you wanna understand the maps in your Bible and stuff like this, this is probably happening at the same time that Acts 27 and 28 are happening. So this is Paul in Roman prison. Onesimus happens to meet him. Even though Paul's in prison, he meets him and becomes a follower of Christ, so Onesimus the slave, Onesimus the thief, travels a thousand miles, becomes Onesimus the Christ follower, and Paul sends him back to the house church, has this letter read aloud, and I'm curious. And again, I know that with, sometimes with religious language, and especially perhaps the Bible, our brain is not clued in the way that it would be on a sitcom where we get up from the fridge and we're like, wait a minute. That didn't make sense. But here's my question. How... On a scale of one to 10, how pushy is Paul in this letter? So one is not very, 10 is he's demanding that Onesimus be sent back to him. Just think about it for a second. I don't know how familiar you are with Philemon. It's worth reading, in my opinion, again and again because it's, I just find it fascinating. I, really, I, I wanna call it passive aggressive, but I don't think that's actually what's happening. I think Paul is abiding by the laws of the state but implying very strongly that the gospel of Jesus transcends that and Philemon has an opportunity to do the right thing. I'd kind of go with eight. On a scale of one to ten, I think he's being about eight in terms of pushy. What do you think? It's summer. You can shout it out. It's fine. (laughs) I don't think Paul is being very subtle. In verse 19 when he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even yourself, your own self. And what's he getting at? Philemon came to faith in Jesus because of Paul's ministry. So his eternal state is secure. And Paul's comparing Philemon's eternal state with the amount of money both that Onesimus stole from him and Onesimus' financial worth as a slave, which might have been temporary, but was still a good bit of money. As far as I can tell, this is either the only letter or one of the very few letters written to an individual to be read to a house. So first and second Timothy and Titus, I don't think we're supposed to be read in this format and like Philippians and Colossians are to be read this way but they're not written to an individual. Philippians and Colossians, the you is you plural, like y'all, right? But here it's you. And the reason I'm sticking with this is I want us to imagine it and to see how Paul saw the gospel and for us to understand that um, one of the criticisms of the New Testament and of Christianity in general, and I believe it's wrong, but we have handled it poorly, is the issue of slavery. People will say one of the problems is that the New Testament doesn't oppose slavery. If we're aware of how not so subtle Paul is being, he's obviously implying that the greater thing would be for Onesimus to go back and serve the gospel, meaning be freed But Paul is writing from a church of 30 or 40 people in Rome, though he's in prison, to another church of 30 or 40. He's not thinking the way we think about it. This is a religious text. You're supposed to transcend time and operate outside of culture and law, and you're supposed to understand that and say slavery is wrong, even though he's implying that it is. At the same time, the church has missed this one. Some of the greatest theologians in the heritage that uh, the barn is in missed this and saw the economic potential and therefore justified it scripturally. And I don't say that because I'm smarter than them, because I'm not. I would never say that I'm even in the same ballpark as Jonathan Edwards, who owned slaves and missed this one. And it puts us in a very interesting position in the 21st century, because um, America doesn't believe in that anymore and no theologian that I know of agrees with it, and yet the effects are still around us And I think Christians need to ask for forgiveness and even make reparations when and where we can. And that might sound silly to you because it's been so many years, but we believe that we're entered into Adam's sin. We believe we receive Jesus' forgiveness as our spiritual brother in Christ, which means the church needs to own that we missed it, even though none of us were members of any of those churches, and this particular church didn't exist. The early church grew in the real world and in the real world, I love the list of people in Philemon. I don't know how familiar you are with the intricacies of the New Testament, but Mark is mentioned. You know, Mark and Paul had a falling out, but now he's back. Deimos is in good standing here, but they have a falling out later. And Onesimus, we don't know a lot about him. There's some, some historical record of him, but scripturally we don't know a lot about him. There they are, these messy folks with their messy stories and limits, and arguments with one another, and the church continues to grow. And I think the reason is because it's true. And the Holy Spirit continued to guide these imperfect people in the midst of very oppressive systems that, by the way, were very different. Like, so the, uh, this is me symbolizing, all of you know, of course, this is me symbolizing the Mediterranean. And as Luke records in acts different governmental systems and the way things worked in Colossae and Ephesus, which is probably where... Uh, Philemon and Paul met, and now in Rome, like he describes these things exceptionally accurately. And we didn't even know that in the 19th century, but in the 20th century, archaeology continues to uncover that Luke was right about all these governmental systems. So the church grew, not because they all got along perfectly, not because they all liked each other, not because they knew exactly how to talk about slavery well, but because the story is true of Jesus' life and resurrection. And so the church continues to grow. As I mentioned, this particular letter is probably written around the same time that Acts 27 and 28 are happening, maybe not being written, but happening. And it's growing through each of these people's stories. I wonder how Onesimus started to tell his story and I wonder how he changed. You know, I tell my story of Jesus' pursuit of me different at 42 than I did at 25. I know you're like, thank God. Yeah, you're right. At 25, I, well, let's just say I could have told it better. The gospel continued to spread through Philemon's story. Can you picture him worshiping next to Onesimus? And what one of his neighbors would have thought of that? Like, okay, I'll check out your house church. I do live next door to you. It's not like it's a long commute. And they come in and they're like, is that Onesimus that you're singing next to? How did that come about? Well, let me tell you. So through the ministry of Paul, this is Philemon talking, I came to be a follower of Christ. And that means that every human is actually made in God's image. And the gospel, this good news, restores us both to God, and so he and I have equal standing. and neighbors like, "No, you don't." Oh, right. right. In Roman legal system, we don't. But in truth, we do. And stories like that are why the church continued to grow. I love uh, Paul's humility here about evangelism. Did you catch this in verse 15? For this, perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, meaning into eternity. So Paul is speculating about how come Onesimus chose to run away from slavery, steal a good bit of money, and travel all the way to Rome. He's saying maybe it was to save his soul. And I love the humility, because Paul believed that God was fully in control, saved who he chose to save, and that led him not to complacency, as the critics of Reformed theology think. Reformed theology believes that God is in control, and we have a role in that, but mostly, I don't know about mostly. God is in control, we have a role in that, but the scripture is so clear that he's sovereign and saves whom he's going to save. But the people that believed that in the New Testament, that belief propelled them to share the gospel. And so Paul's saying humbly, I think this is why all this happened but he's not saying it forcefully because he believes God is sovereign and he doesn't yet know what Philemon's gonna do. As far as I understand the scriptures, we can be entirely confident that regardless of what we do and do not do, God pursues whom he pursues to himself. And that knowledge, rightly understood, frees us to share the gospel. It doesn't make us complacent. And I love that Paul is sending Onesimus back and he doesn't know how it's gonna go. Because it reminds me of how churches are to function. It reminds me of our elders who imperfectly through prayer and conversation and history and planning for the future try and figure out what are we supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? How are we supposed to do it? We're pretty consistently asking. Right way, right thing, right time. And we pray about it and we talk about it, we receive correction. We groan sometimes, we argue sometimes, we laugh sometimes, we hear from you sometimes, sometimes we don't. Similarly here, Paul sends Onesimus back and he doesn't know how it's going to go. And I love that picture because that's the, the church shrinking numerically, right? The church in Rome has to get smaller so that they can do the right thing the right thing was to restore him to Philemon and give Philemon a chance to bring Onesimus into fellowship, but Paul doesn't know how it's gonna go. Sometimes churches get very, and I I don't know of the barn ever doing this, but generally, I don't know about generally. Scratch that. Oftentimes, churches get very interested in numeric growth. And the reason is, on a good day, it's because we long for people to become followers of Christ. But that's not all we're doing we are also being grown up by the Holy Spirit. It's called sanctification, it's called discipleship, and sometimes for that to happen, the church needs to shrink. And Paul's fully comfortable with that. No idea what's gonna happen after he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. The early church in the real world grew in grace and in truth. I appreciate verse 10 very much where Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. There's something about being a pastor and an and, and evangelist also, but mostly a pastor, that is like family. I did not think when I wrote the Sin Minos I was going to cry. And you don't know why I'm crying. Um, I'm going to take a five week mini sabbatical. Some of you knew that, some of you did not. And When uh, personnel, our personnel committee affirmed it and then our elders affirmed it, one of the first things the elders said was, why don't you call it a mini? Because five weeks isn't very long. And here's why. I'm doing it because I want to last. And being your pastor is an incredible honor and very tiring. And part of the reason it's tiring is because I care um, about you. And I think most of you know that. And so, if you're led to pray for me on my sabbatical, would you pray that I continue to care without carrying? Because I walk around with, (laughs) all the Midwesterners were like, I knew tears were okay, New Englanders were wrong. (laughs) That's my way of trying to get myself to stop crying. And you New Englanders, I know that you have strong, good emotions. your, Your rep is wrong in other parts of the country. So there are personal reasons um, that I'm tired. There are professional reasons that I'm tired. I had not been a lead pastor before coming here, and these six years have been delightful, and I'm tired. Notice in verse 19, Paul says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. When he would write the letters, he didn't handwrite most of them. And part of the reason was he mentions in the text he's old. I'm 42, so I'm not saying I'm taking a sabbatical because of my age though my daughter does point out every gray hair as it, as it grows, she really does. On my birthday, she was actually jumping up and down about my gray hairs, which is fine. So while I'm gone, um, if you need something pastorally, you're welcome to contact any of our uh, elders. Um, and if you're not sure who they are, you should be able to ask at least two members who would know exactly who they are. And I'm not gonna make them stand up because we didn't talk about it ahead of time. But the main reason I'm doing it is I want to last. I want to rest a little bit now so that I can pastor as long as the Lord and you, frankly, want me to be here. So, wow! I should have known. Should I have known that I was going to? Yeah, I should have known. <laughs> All of you who know me well, I like. Of course, you're going to cry. So the early church that existed in the, in the real world and therefore was limited by the governmental laws and particular cultures of its time grew in grace and in truth. And I think the image for us is, is Paul and Onesimus and Philemon worshiping together because the scriptures teach them that every human is an image bearer and the gospel frees us to recognize that we are equal because of God's love and the way that he actually created men and women. And through trusting in Christ, we're able to move into that and love one another as uh, equal in image-bearing. And I think as people saw that, that is why the church continued to grow. As their stories of of not only the gospel's truth, but what the gospel led them to, which is to recognizing that all humans are made in God's image and equal, was part of their evangelism. I think the story of the New Testament church as we'll continue to unpack it over the summer is an interesting story. I think there's intrigue and infighting and missions. And at one point, some demons beat up a guy who wasn't actually a follower of Jesus, but said he was, and they strip him of everything, like clothes. It's a fascinating story. And it seems so small. And yet here we are today, with the the church of Jesus Christ continuing to grow especially now in Africa and in Asia as people recognize the freeing power of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ witnessed to by the early church and now proclaimed by you and by me. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise you that you have drawn us to yourself and drawn up our ability and interest in praising you. For therein is the flourishing with God life, learning to worship you and do community and be a faithful presence where we find ourselves. Father, we ask for your blessing on this corporate body of Christ followers. Would you guide and protect us Would you draw people to faith in you? Would you grow us up into more and more mature followers of you? In your name we pray, amen.